Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Connecting Citizens to Science podcast, a podcast that explores methods and approaches that are used in research and science to connect communities and make sure that communities are at the center of all our work. In this week's episode, we are talking to the Tupame Project, who aim to understand how children in two communities in Nairobi, Kenya, have lung problems, and to also explore children's experiences of lung problems in air pollution. They really drew on creative methods to do this and talk about it throughout the episode, They use drawings with children to identify what was considered as either good air or bad air. They conducted something called walking interviews with GoPros and air monitors with local community groups and people. They even engage children in co-analysis and theme development. They talk about how videos, comics, graffiti was used to communicate findings back to communities and by communities and how policymakers will also be engaged using these creative methods as a source of advocacy. Finally, we hear how all of this contributed to understanding the priorities and needs of communities from communities themselves. Enjoy the episode. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Connecting Citizens to Science podcast. In this week's episode, we will be hearing about lung diseases, asthma, and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD. And we will be hearing specifically about a project in Kenya that worked with children as a community of interest. So first of all, let's meet our three guests. Sarah West, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Kim. Thanks for having me. I'm Sarah. I'm director of the Stockholm Environment Institute, which is at the University of York. And today is very frosty. (laughs) I am... Fred Dorina, I work at the Kenya Medical Research Institute as a research scientist. I was the project manager for the Tupumue study. Hi, I'm Graham Devereaux. I work at the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine. I'm a chest doctor by trade, and I have a research interest in how early life and the environment influences whether children get asthma and adults get COPD. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Let's meet our co-host. As always, I have a wonderful new co-host with me, Helen Mimi. Welcome to the podcast. Tell us a bit about yourself and also introduce this wonderful project we're going to be hearing about today. Hello, everyone. My name is Helen Meme. I work for the Kenya Medical Research Institute as a chief research officer. My business is to carry out research in, in human health. And this particular study um, is a study that we carried out to assess the burden of chronic non-communicable lung diseases in children in Kenya, in Nairobi, Kenya, in two, you know, neighboring uh, communities and yet diverse in a number of ways in the sense that one of them is an informal settlement while the other one is a formal settlement. We embarked on a journey to find out what the burden of chronic lung diseases is in these two communities and to assess what the risk factors could be that actually drive the non-communicable lung diseases in this community. We intended to learn what the early life impact as well as the environment has, what impact the two have in the non-communicable lung diseases among school-going children in these two communities. Thank you very much. And I think we will be learning about the methods that you use to engage children throughout the podcast. But before we do that, You said you chose two study sites. Could you just paint us a picture of those two study sites? The informal settlement is basically what we commonly refer to as slums. And uh, this population, I would say, lacks basic amenities, such as, you know, sanitation and as well as the 
proper housing. These are areas where people live and actually are associated with the people on the low earning side of the population. Then in comparison to this, we had a more affluent neighborhood, which is planned with all social amenities, so to speak, and mainly occupied by middle income earners as compared to the low income earners that we find in, in the slum community. So that is the context in which we looked at the children living in these two different communities That sounds great. So the comparison for you in this project is really important by the sound of it. Well, I will let you engage with our guests. Let's hear more about it. Thank you very much. I will request our first guest, Professor Graham, to highlight how we came to where we are in terms of the conception of the idea that, you know, we went ahead to make a successful study and give us the background and little what it entailed. Hi. I started the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine in 2018 and... Within a couple of weeks, I was sent out to Durban to a conference, and I was told to meet up with Helen. She and I met up in a hotel one evening before dinner, and we basically came up with this idea of doing a comparison study. This is what I've done in the past is comparison studies, and we could also build on the work from Sarah with her work with the communities in Makuru. So the whole idea of this is we're looking at children because we know in Africa there's a huge COPD burden in adults. We know that most of the factors that are increasing risk of COPD are established during childhood. That's why we wanted to look at children. We want to see whether their lung disease patterns are the same as what we see in adults. We wanted to do the comparison because nobody's ever looked at a study of a slum before to see whether the kids in a slum have got more asthma. People have said, oh, yes, there is, but they've not actually done the study. So this was the first study to actually look and see whether children in a slum have more asthma. It's the first ever study to have done this. And then Helen told me that the ladies in uh, Kenya have something called a children's health card, which has got all these numbers from when their kids were babies, so their birth weight, what they weighed in the first year of life. This was like gold dust to me because these are sort of studies we've been doing in the UK looking at you know all these records where the kids get asthma and COPD later in life. I just took this with both hands. We said, great, let's get all the women who take part in the study to bring their child's health card in. We could actually look to see what the babies were like at birth, influence whether they get asthma later in life. Thank you very much, Graham. Now that we know a little where it all started, I think it's important that now we get Fred to tell us how the feel was on the ground and how the preparations were made, and what challenges, you know, he, he anticipated, and how he circumvented those problems. Fred, please. The Tupumua study is uh, quite a unique study. I don't know when they were sitting to think about uh, this study, why they had put so many octopus tentacles in it. We had a social arm, we had a sensitization arm, we had a clinical arm, we had exposure arm, which all of them had to be done at the same time. When we look at the uh, different arms, we had to do uh, 200 homes for exposure. We had to do around uh, 40 walking interviews. It was really something which really required a lot of uh, coordination. After getting all those permissions, we uh, started the uh, consenting process. Anyway, before that, uh, we had to do uh, elaborate sensitization. An octopus, what a great analogy. I've definitely worked on programs that have felt that way too. And I think when we work 
in uh, multidisciplinary settings. It's it's often what it looks like in practice as well. So can you tell me a little bit more? What did the sensitization arm look like in practice? There was an elaborate sensitization whereby the whole community had to be made aware of the study. We brought the community to give their views again uh, to the proposal as uh, was how it was going to be implemented and the sensitization involved the community members uh, going into their own community and neighborhoods tell the community about the study when the children now came to school they had some idea of how the study is going to be carried out and here they were asked to go and tell their parents that uh, uh, there was this study with the information sheets. And then uh, with the information sheets, the parents gave consent. The sensitization team came to the schools, did their drama uh, so that the children can really understand what was ahead of them. After the uh, consents were gotten, the assents were gotten from the children, then the real activity started. The real activities were uh, the clinical activities. And here, the children had to undergo several uh, activities, like they had a questionnaire which they had to answer questions to before they were seen to be eligible. Then they did some spirometry testing, which was to measure their lung function. Thereafter, they became now the ambassadors for the study. This really helped making the study a success. The study to the community was the air quality measurement arm. This air quality measurement arm was actually carried out by field workers from these different communities. Field workers had to go get the randomly selected families in the project and then go visit them in their homes, explain to them and put the gadgets in their homes to measure the air quality measurements. So at homes, the families were actually a little bit um, curious on the gadgets because the gadgets were uh, shaped like a, a um, fuel filter for the cars. The other component was for the uh, walking interviews whereby the field workers carried these uh, air quality measurement tools. And also these people are wearing a camera in front of them to uh, actually map roads which the children were taking. So with the good sensitization practice that the community really accepted this project. Thank you, Fred. I would request Sarah maybe to, to give her, in, her input into what Fred has just discussed. And uh, emphasize a little bit more on, on how the children were safeguarded. My role in the project was leading on the qualitative side of the project, and there were three main elements to that. The first was story making with the children. So as Fred described, there was this kind of long sensitization process. We had amazing community sensitization champions who went in and they developed a song and they developed a mural and they all had like brightly colored t-shirts. It was really fantastic. It meant that the children were aware about it. And then it was much easier to consent the parents as part of that process um, to take part in the study and then get assent from the children. The storytelling team went in and they got children to draw pictures of um, what they like doing when they're outside of school. That was their first activity, just to get them started with, you know, 
this weird activity, you know, like drawing. Then they started um, a next activity, which was um, actually much more focusing on their breath. So it was focusing on, do you or anyone you know have any lung issues? And they drew pictures around that. Then they also drew pictures around what they saw on their way to school. They drew pictures of things like where they felt the air was clean and where they felt the air was dirty. We've got really fantastic drawings um, of those from the two communities. This is really exciting for me. All my research uses citizen science um, approaches in it, but often the participants are only involved in the data collecting stage. But this was where the school children were actually analysing the data as well. We did an exercise where we got them to start coding the drawings that they'd done as a group. What could they see in those drawings? When they were drawing clean air pictures, what sort of things did they show? So, you know, that was trees and rivers and the moon actually came up quite often in those drawings and the sun. Um, as the clean air, when they were drawing the dirty air, the children decided that actually the types of categories that they wanted, how they wanted to categorise those was actually a lot around smoke. So that was the most common theme in the drawings and smoke coming from rubbish and um, burning smoke coming from cooking, smoke coming from people um, smoking, and also from vehicles. And the third element, as Fred described, was these walking interviews, which is where we got people to walk around with a GoPro camera on them, um, as well as an air pollution monitor. And they took our researcher to somewhere where they felt they could breathe easily, and somewhere where it was difficult for them to breathe. And we've got really nice um, videos of those two different spaces, as well as the air quality measurements from those spaces as well. In terms of safeguarding back to your question Helen what we did there was we made sure that our researchers were always working in pairs and that we had found out in advance where the clean air place was and where the dirty air place was. Thank you Sarah before we move on ethics is always an issue ethical issues always come up especially when a study like this is undertaken within the community I would request uh, Graham to kind of put us to speed on how the ethical issues during this study were handled. This is really an issue that everybody grapples with in a big study like yeah. this. What you have to remember here is that we're essentially asking parents to give us information about their children. A lot of parents, talking about a thousand parents from Makuru, a thousand parents from Buruburu, we're actually asking them to give information about their children. We're asking them to get the children to do some blowing tests. These are things that the children don't have to do, but we're asking for permission to do it. Firstly, you have to go through what they call governance, which is to get permissions from Ministry of Health, Ministry of Education, ethics committees in uh, UK, ethics committees in Kenya. That's the permissions. But the most important thing is that the parents are actually told what we would like to do to the children. The children went home with an information sheet for the parents and it explained in English and in Swahili what we would like to do. The parents were told that they didn't have to take part. It was completely voluntary. They had the opportunities to ask the questions. And if they're happy for their children to be involved, they gave their written consent. Then the parents would give us the information about what the children's respiratory symptoms were, how they lived. When we came to actually do the blowing test, we actually asked the children, do you actually want to help us with this study? Do you want to actually do these blowing tests and they signed a consent what they call assent one of the, what i call the creatives was an artist who did some fantastic cartoons so that when we were asking the children for their permission there was a cartoon version so it was all in pictures 
the children knew what was going to happen because they'd seen puppet shows about what happened to Billy the Puppet, and he turned up for the for the uh, study. Billy the Puppet had to do some blind tests. So the children knew exactly what was going on. There's been lots of uh, parades through the communities explaining what Tupamui was about. The families, the parents knew what they were going to be approached. They knew what the study was about. The children knew what the study was about. So it made it a lot easier. They weren't frightened by anything. Not only did we do a puppet show for Billy on his day out to take part in the study before COVID, they had a one post-COVID where Billy had to wear a mask and everybody a part of the study had to wear a mask. It's not only about getting the permissions, it's about getting the parents and the children to want to take part. Part of that is it's very important if they've taken part in a study, they actually get the findings of the study. We know from our engagement with the communities that they strongly are worried about exposure to pollution. So the parents in Makura are worried about exposure to burning uh, rubbish, and the parents in Burabura are worried about exposure to traffic fumes. And both of those came out as important determinants of whether the children had symptoms or not. It's such an engaging conversation. We're really interested in the methods here. Sarah, I wonder if you could tell me what value did these methods add? And when you came to bring the different methods together, were they showing you different things depending on whether it was the cameras or the drawing or the co-analysis? How did that all come together? What the different methods show us is complementary to each other. So I think they're showing us different sides of the same picture. Same things we get that Graham's just described about the different sources of pollution in the different communities, that's what we see in the drawings. I think the reason we decided to use these methods is actually... Graham mentioned right at the beginning in his introduction that um, part of this came out of a project that I've been leading called the Air Network, which brought together creative practitioners from the UK and from Kenya, local community members from Makuru who were artists, like visual artists, rap artists, um, drama practitioners, all sorts of people. Um, And we found that there was such enthusiasm in the community for these methods. These are the way that people in the community communicate. They don't communicate by, um, you know, listening to presentations or anything like that. The murals, the graffiti and things, that is how they get the messages across. When Graham and his team approached us and said, look, do you want to get involved? We were like, yeah, absolutely. There was so much more we could do. And we really liked the idea of having the kind of academic rigor that comes from a comparison study and bringing in all of these creative methods, both as a way of uncovering people's lived experiences of air pollution in the two communities, but also as a way of disseminating, talking about the findings to the communities that we were working with. For the dissemination, we've got boring stuff, which is presentations at meetings and papers the more interesting stuff has come from the fact that we've been filming from start to finish there's been filming done by Kenyan filmmakers who filmed it Tupamui so there'll be a Tupamui film which will be in English and in Swahili that'll be the basis a lot of our dissemination activities both the scientific community and to the people of Nairobi Helen is going to have a series of dissemination meetings with teachers, the communities. Uh, We're going to have comics. We're going to have uh, graffiti. So the film is what we're really going to be doing most of the dissemination with. So the 37-minute film, which has got 
music from the choir singing when we had our community engagement event. We've got the uh, Tupamui song on it. It gives the basic outline of what the study's about, the way it was conducted and the results. The most important thing is we feed back to the communities. The presenter of the Tupamui film is actually Paris, who's one of the Tupamui champions known to the community in the song and everything. And she's being the narrator for this film. We take this very seriously in disseminating back. We're also disseminating to what we call the policymakers. We're hoping to get to the Ministry of Health, Ministry of Education. So we can tell the Ministry of Education, the pollution levels in the schools are just about the upper limit of what the World Health Organization recommends. Whereas we can tell the Ministry of Health that the pollution levels outside the schools are pretty bad and need to be looked into. We're also, we've now got funding for what we're calling a dissemination event where there's a big conference happening in Mombasa next year in June. We're getting scientists together to tell them about the study, but we're also getting members of Makura and Buruburu community to come as well. They'll be doing some of the presentations about what Makura is like, what Buruburu is like, what they did in the study. They're going to tell us about sensitization, Hopefully, we're going to have some drawing happening. We may even have some dancing in the aisles. It's going to be a dissemination event, which is not only scientific, but it's the community. And we're all going to go as a big group to Mombasa. One of the real reasons for the dissemination events is that we want the communities of Buruburu and uh, Makura to tell us what they would like us to do next. They were the ones that told us they were worried about pollution. They wanted us to look at pollution. They said... Without any data, the Kenyan government says there isn't a problem. So we're now providing the data, but we would like the community to tell us what to do next. Would they like us to start working on trying to get rid of mosquito coils? Would they like us to start getting children diagnosed? Would they like us to start getting children treated? Or do we need to go and speak to the Kenyan government to get improvements in pollution? They've told us what to do. They've helped us do the study, but they're gonna tell us what they would like us to do next which I think is very important. I can tell from this project that the values of co-production didn't just come at the end. They were all the way through, right from the beginning in the participatory methods that you've chosen, right down to engaging community as co-researchers as well. That's really impressive. I think this octopus that you've created of different methods and different disciplines is wonderful. I can imagine you've got a lot of learning. So what advice would you have in 30 seconds? What advice would you have for others who want to engage with communities to the level that you have in this project? Whoever wants to do this kind of a study, uh, a lot of planning is really required. We plan for the knowns and we also plan for the unknowns because uh, like COVID struck, we had no plans for a pandemic. And uh, we should actually use the community in terms of uh, the data collection themselves because we have competent data collection teams in the community. Perfect, thank you very much. Sarah, please, piece of advice. Aside from everybody needs a Fred in their projects, which would be my top tip, my second tip is um, just involve the community as early as you possibly can. We involved them right from when we were writing the bid, which would be my top tip. Thank you very much. Graham? I think I've got two tips. Firstly, if you've got the community on board, you can be very, very ambitious. The other thing is, I hadn't got a clue what was going on with these creatives and what they're up to. And I just let them do it. Just listen to what you're told. Thank you very much. Helen, one piece of advice to wrap us up. One thing I really learned 
from this study, which was very, very unique, I've had a long history of doing several studies, is that teamwork is critical. And uh, teamwork basically means teamwork between the investigators and the community. So teamwork, teamwork, and teamwork. Thank you so much. So plan for the known and the unknown, lots of teamwork, engage the community right from the start and listen. <laughs> That's a wonderful end to the podcast. Thank you so much for our guests and our wonderful co-host and to our listeners as always. Thank you for joining us. Please do like, rate, share and subscribe. Without your support, we couldn't continue with this podcast. Thank you very much for listening and uh, stay with us for our next episode. Goodbye for now. Bye.